Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. Fastball, swinging a drive, deep drive, left field, get out of here, yeah! What a moment for George Springer. And the first pitch is brought to you by Manscaped.com. They are the creators of the Lawnmower 4.0. There is still time, we believe, folks, to get in with the promo code NSR Media, which is not the promo code. It would be out of the park. So if you type in NSR Media, you get nothing. But if you type in out of the park as your promo code, you can save on the Lawnmower 4.0. You'll get free shipping as well. Tom and I are both proud owners of the 4.0. I use it to trim my beard up here, Tom. You use it to trim your beard in the nether nether regions. Well, not just everywhere. General landscaping. Uh -huh. I'm one of those guys, Barry, as you get older, hair starts sprouting in unseemly places. And this takes care of it quickly, efficiently, and discreetly. Do you shave your knuckle hair? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, hairy knuckles are just... <laughs> uh, we're going to talk a little music in a moment. But first of all, I do want to talk a little bit about George Springer. And isn't it interesting that after George Springer's first 10 games as a Blue Jay... And this went till the end of June, so June the 29th. George Springer was hitting 194. George Springer had three home runs, no doubles. He was off to a terrible start. And many of the fans were starting to question why the Blue Jays would make such an acquisition as they did in George Springer. And a lot of times these reactions are done very prematurely there is a reason why george springer career numbers are what they are this is not based on a 10 game span or even a 20 or 30 game span this is a career that george springer has been a phenomenal hitter and all people had to do was just be patient with them and as you and i talked about tom when it was june 30th for the blue jays for George Springer, it was probably April the 1st. It takes time for hitters to get themselves into a rhythm, into a groove. Since that time, Tom, in the 30 games since then, George Springer, ready for it? 322 average, 10 home runs, 11 doubles. This guy is a perfect leadoff hitter, probably the best leadoff hitter the Blue Jays have had in ages. And who else would you want at the top of your order? than George Springer. Yeah, it's indicative of a lot of what we see with the, the sort of the, the focus on the team is is just really Toronto sports fans seem wanting to jump to that negative and, and give up on people right away. And baseball is a game of patience. And I hope this season teaches all the Toronto fans a whole bunch of patience because things are all of a sudden turning around a little bit. A couple good acquisitions at the, at the deadline and, you know, again, universally, I, reaction was mixed. Berrios is impressed in his, you know, in his first start anyways. He, had, he was wonderful. Yeah, by the but, time you're watching or listening to this, he will have had his second start. Yeah. In the second game of a doubleheader. And as we speak now, the Jays have won two in a row against the Red Sox. And he, you know, they could lose the, the next two. They could go on a four or five game losing streak. It happens. And anyone who has followed baseball for an awfully long time understands that when they say 
you play the 162 games for a reason. This is the reason. In 2015, yep. the Blue Jays were trailing by a lot, made a great run to come back. They're doing mm-hmm. that again. And one thing that is very similar about the 2015 team and the 2021 team, Tom, run differential. Run differential. Yep. Run differential. The Blue Jays had a huge positive run differential in 2015, and they have one this year. And yep. the, is the bullpen still nervous at times? Yeah, absolutely. But this offense is so freaking good top to bottom there were a couple of games over this past week that that vladimir guerrero believe it or not took offers and don't worry <laughs> we it's not a matter of needing to send this guy down he took a couple of offers and in both those games the blue jays scored a crap load of runs without him yep yep it's wonderful to watch and you know i hope that the fans learned <laughs> it's you know i the the one thing that i keep seeing is you know the news articles and and you know the the podcast slant that like Okay, the Jays now need to go with this clip for the rest of the way to get this to this X mystical amount of wins to to get to the playoffs. And it's like, well, no, because you know, then they extrapolate those numbers over a full season and try and show how bad the Jays do. But you're right, 162. And and anybody that you know has ever gambled will tell you, you know, sometimes that coin toss. You know, it might even out at 50-50 in the end, but it takes some funny paths to get there and curves to get there. That's what baseball's about, and we've got an exciting team. I can't wait for September baseball this year. They're in it, and that's the main thing. And you can't look and say, well, if the Blue Jays are going to make the playoffs, they have to win 95 games. And for them to win 95 games, they have to do the. Just worry about winning each game and where they are in the standings, and are you closing ground? Because within five days, okay, if you're five games out of first place and the Blue Jays win five in a row and the team in front of them loses five in a row, guess what? They're tied for first place. It doesn't matter at that point what the clip is. It's a matter of either chasing or being chased. And right now the Jays are chasing. And I like the fact that they're playing their best ball of the season at our huge time in the year, right? And... Let's see how this plays out. This is going to be a lot, a lot of fun to watch. Meanwhile, I actually saw somebody write up on Facebook on the weekend. You ready for it? The Jays should have never gotten rid of Rowdy Telez. The same guy that people wanted out of town, selling him for a bag of balls. (laughs) Right? And it's the same Rowdy Telez. And Rowdy Telez is what he is. He can be very dynamic at times. He can hit a crap load of home runs. And then he may go into a slide for a little bit. Again, baseball is all built on averages. You can't make too big of a deal on a short stretch, whether it's good or bad. A player is what they are. And every once in a while, you'll see a late bloomer. But for the most part, if you've been in the league four or five years, you know what you've got in a player. They don't usually make a dramatic turn four or five years into a career. And again, there are exceptions. Jose Bautista. Uh, Jose Bautista. Yeah, right. But it's rare. It's absolutely rare. Um, What's not rare, Tom, is that uh, you and I are now making music, and we had an opportunity to make music live together for the first time. You and I have a new tribute band uh, duo called Nowhere Man.
Ajax area on Friday, April, no, April, August the 13th. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be playing there again, opening up for We Ain't Petty. And uh, if you want a good time out, it's an outdoor venue. Uh, they're encouraging people to make reservations to come because we want to make sure that, you know, everybody's got a table and everybody's got a place and they're keeping the table six feet apart. So everybody's going to be safe. So that's great news. But mm -hmm. uh, come on out and see some live music. It, it's a lot of fun making music again and yep. uh, especially making music with you, sir. Uh, I was pretty special. You know, first yes. time on stage together with the with the Nowhere Men. And I know. I'm excited. I'm excited for the next one. I'm excited, too. You know what else I'm excited about? Not only the present of the Toronto Blue Jays, but the future of the Toronto Blue Jays. We're going to examine that next as we are joined by one of the Blue Jays' prospects. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. You're listening to and watching Out of the Park. A play ball! Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. Fastball, swing and a drive, deep drive, left field, get out of here, yeah! What a moment for George Springer! And the first pitch is brought to you by Manscaped.com. They are the creators of the Lawnmower 4.0. There is still time, we believe, folks, to get in with the promo code NSR Media, which is not the promo code. It would be out of the park. So if you type in NSR Media, you get nothing. But if you type in out of the park as your promo code, you can save on the Lawnmower 4.0. You'll get free shipping as well. Tom and I are both proud owners of the 4.0 i use it to trim my beard up here tom you use it to trim your beard in the nether nether regions well not just everywhere general landscaping uh -huh. i'm one of those guys barry as you get older hair starts sprouting in unseemly places and this takes care of it quickly efficiently and discreetly do you shave your knuckle hair absolutely oh yeah yeah hairy knuckles are just uh, we're going to talk a little music in a moment, but first of all, I do want to talk a little bit about George Springer. And isn't it interesting that after George Springer's first 10 games as a Blue Jay, and this went till the end of June, so June the 29th, George Springer was hitting 194. George Springer had three home runs, no doubles. He was off to a terrible start. And many of the fans were starting to question why the Blue Jays would make such an acquisition as they did in George Springer. And a lot of times these reactions are done very prematurely. There is a reason why George Springer career numbers are what they are. This is not based on a 10-game span or even a 20- or 30-game span. This is a career that George Springer has been a phenomenal hitter. And all people had to do was just be patient with them. And as you and I talked about, Tom, when it was June 30th for the Blue Jays, for George Springer, it was probably April the 1st. It takes time for hitters to get themselves into a rhythm, into a groove. Since that time, Tom, in the 30 games since then, George Springer, ready for it? 322 average, 10 home runs. 11 doubles. This guy is a perfect leadoff hitter, probably the best leadoff hitter the Blue Jays have had in ages. And who else would you want at the top of your order than George Springer? 
Yeah, it's indicative of a lot of what we see with the sort of the, the focus on the team is is just really Toronto sports fans seem wanting to jump to that negative and, and give up on people right away. And baseball is a game of patience. And I hope this season teaches all the Toronto fans a whole bunch of patience because things are all of a sudden turning around a little bit. A couple of good acquisitions at the at the deadline. And, you know, again, universally, I, reaction was mixed. Berrios is impressed in his, you know, in his first start anyways. He, had, he was wonderful. And by the time you're watching or listening to this, he will have had his second start in and the second game of a doubleheader in as we speak now, the Jays have won two in a row against the Red Sox, and you know, they could lose the, not the next two. They could go on a four or five game losing streak. It happens. And anyone who has followed baseball for an awfully long time understands that when they say you play the 162 games for a reason, this is the reason. In 2015, the Blue Jays were trailing by a lot, made a great run to come back. They're doing that again. And one thing that is very similar about the 2015 team and the 2021 team, Tom, run differential. Run differential. Yep. Run differential. The Blue Jays had a huge positive run differential in 2015, and they have one this year. And the, is the bullpen still nervous at times? Yeah, absolutely. But this offense is so freaking good, top to bottom. There were a couple of games over this past week that, that Vladimir Guerrero, believe it or not, took offers. And don't worry, we, it's not a matter of needing to send this guy down. He took a couple of offers, and in both those games, the Blue Jays scored a crap load of runs without him. Yep. yep. It's wonderful to watch. And, you know, I hope that the fans learn. <laughs> it's, you know, I, the, the one thing that I keep seeing is, you know, the news articles and, and you know, the, the podcast slant that, like, okay, the Jays now need to go with this clip for the rest of the way to get this to this X mystical amount of wins to, to get to the playoffs. And it's like, well, no, because, you know, then they extrapolate those numbers over a full season and try and show how bad the Jays do. But you're right, 162. And, and anybody that you know has ever gambled will tell you, you know, sometimes that coin toss, you know, it, it might even out at 50-50 in the end, but it takes some funny paths to get there and curves to get there. That's what baseball's about. And we've got an exciting team. I can't wait for September baseball this year. They're in it, and that's the main thing. And you can't look and say, well, if the Blue Jays are going to make the playoffs, they have to win 95 games. And for them to win 95 games, they have to do the Just worry about winning each game and where they are in the standings, and are you closing ground? Because within five days, okay, if you're five games out of first place and the Blue Jays win five in a row and the team in front of them loses five in a row, guess what? They're tied for first place. It doesn't matter at that point what the clip is. It's a matter of either chasing or being chased. And right now, the Jays are chasing. And I like the fact that they're playing their best ball of the season at a huge time in the year, right? And let's see how this plays out. This is going to be a lot, a lot of fun to watch. Meanwhile, I actually saw somebody write up on Facebook on the weekend. You ready for it? The Jays should have never gotten rid of Rowdy Telez. The same guy that people wanted out of town, selling him for a bag of balls. <laughs> right? And it's the same Rowdy Telez. And Rowdy Telez is what he is. He can be very dynamic at times. He can hit a crap load of home runs. And then he may go into a slide for a little bit. 
again, baseball is all built on averages. You can't make too big of a deal on a short stretch, whether it's good or bad. A player is what they are. And every once in a while, you'll see a late bloomer. But for the most part, if you've been in the league four or five years, you know what you've got in a player. They don't usually make a dramatic turn four or five years into a career. And again, there are exceptions. Jose Bautista. Uh, Jose Bautista. Yeah, right. But it, it, it's rare. It's absolutely rare. Um, what's not rare, Tom, is that uh, you and I are now making music, and we had an opportunity to make music live together for the first time. You and I have a new tribute band uh, duo called Nowhere Men. Jack's area on Friday, April, no, April, August the 13th. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be playing there again, opening up for We Ain't Petty. And uh, if you want a good time out, it's an outdoor venue. Uh, they're encouraging people to make reservations to come because we want to make sure that, you know, everybody's got a table, everybody's got a place, and they're keeping the table six feet apart. So everybody's going to be safe. So that's great news. But mm. uh, come on out and see some live music. It, it's a lot of fun making music again. And uh, especially making music with you, sir. Uh, it was pretty special. You know, first yes. time on stage together with the with the Nowhere Men. And I know. I'm excited. I'm excited for the next one. I'm excited, too. You know what else I'm excited about? Not only the present of the Toronto Blue Jays, but the future of the Toronto Blue Jays. We're going to examine that next as we are joined by one of the Blue Jays' prospects. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. You're listening to and watching Out of the Park. Well, joining us now is a guy who will eventually become a Toronto Blue Jay because, Tom, every prospect we have on this show eventually makes it to the Toronto Blue Jays, so that's good. And, uh, Mac Mueller, you've got something in common with the Blue Jays, and it's such a crazy, fascinating story because, like the Blue Jays, for the longest time, you didn't have a home. <laughs> and the Blue Jays are like that now and, you know, finally getting ready to play in Toronto for the first time since 2019, which is pretty wild for us out here. But for you, growing up, man, uh, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's a long story, but was it something that from the, a very young age you just got used to not staying in one place too long? And maybe tell us a little bit about why you guys moved so much. Um, so my dad was in the Air Force uh, for 27 years, I believe, 27, 28, somewhere around there. Um, and he'd been in my whole life. And so I was born in Oklahoma City. We spent two years there, don't really remember it. And then we moved to North Dakota. And the big change for me was after the five years we spent in North Dakota, we moved to Germany. And so for me, having spent my whole life in the U.S., my parents are from Wisconsin, so used to the Midwest, going to Germany was a culture shock and a difference. But once I was there, um, you know, from ages like eight to 14, it's just something we got used to. Um, the traveling, living over there, friends coming and going. I mean, it's it's just something you kind of, 
you get used to it. It's part of the life. It's part of moving around as a, as a kid and having him do what he does. And he's gone every once in a while. He didn't do any big deployments while we were there, but it's just the back and forth kind of, it's just part of life when you're in the military. So what was it about baseball? Was there a lot of baseball being played on the base? Is that what drew you into it? Or um, My uncle played. Uh, so my uncle made it to double uh, A in the Reds organization in the uh, early mid nineties is when he played. Um, he was a right-handed pitcher, pretty much stock righty as, as far as you could, you could tell. Um, but so he played, it was in my family. My grandpa played not professionally, but he played in some of the adult leagues in up in the mid up in Wisconsin. And so it's kind of just part of my life, part of the family. And so uh, going over there, we decided we were able to kind of work with some of the other little league kids. And we formed an organization that we called the ambassador program, which was for all the kids that were serious about baseball. We were able to play year round. Now we had to go into the gym. I'm sure you guys are you know, used to the snowy winters uh, up there in the North, same thing in Germany, but we were able to play year round outside of just the little springtime little league season that you would get. Um, our, it was all linked to the military base. All the coaches that were run through it were all military dads, um, just learning what they could, trying to help us get better. And then the little league worked exactly the same as any, any little league organization here. Uh, it was just linked to the base. So we were the Kaiser Slaughter and military community little league. And that was where all the kids were. Was the military something you had any interest in, in being a part of? Uh, absolutely not. I did not want to, <laughs> so I had enough of the moving around as a kid. Um, you know, the constant being gone, little did I know, professional baseball, same thing. Um, but it was, it was something that I've considered before, um, as I've gotten older, um, could potentially be something that I may regret in the future is, is not serving because obviously it's such a big part of my life. And, uh, I, you know, I love the United States. I love my country. So, um, but that wasn't until I was older coming out of high school. It wasn't something I really considered. Um, I was going to college to play baseball, give me the best opportunity to get better to play and move on to the next level. And that was the main focus. All that time in Germany, I'm surprised you didn't uh, flip over to hockey because hockey's pretty big out there. So fun story, actually, I played hockey when I was a kid. We lived in North Dakota. Um, and so we went when, once we moved over to Germany, I was primarily a hockey kid. Nice. Um, I had played a ton when I was really little peewee. And then we got over to Germany and the only team was in a town 45 minutes from where we lived. And so to make Tuesday and Thursday night practices and weekend games with that 45 minute drive and school schedule and all that stuff, it just was, it was too much of a financial and time commitment for what we were able to do. And it kind of just ventured off. I always said, if I had moved to any other state besides Texas, after we lived in Germany, I probably would have continued playing hockey or tried to play again. Wow. And Tom, you think you've got it tough driving your uh, 12 year old son to baseball four times a week. At least you have to, you get to stay in the country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we're walking. I'd like to walk away from baseball a little bit because it's pretty rare I meet somebody with such interests that align so closely with uh, my own sons. 
And, you know, not only are you, are you a baseball player and you're, you're doing great, you know, in your first season, but there was also something else that I read about you that I really wanted to ask is, <laughs> are you still solving Rubik's cubes? What's your personal best? And is it just the three by three or do you work with different cubes? You watch out because Tom's son can kick most people's ass with this thing. <laughs> so I started when I was, I think it was after the seventh grade. Um, so I was uh, probably 12, what is that? 11, 11, 12, 13, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And I had, I'd always seen people that had them and it was just something that I got the itch to do. And so two weeks to finish my summer before school started, I sat down at our desk at the desktop computer, just searching as much as I could, watching YouTube videos, just everything I could possibly do to learn how to do it. And since then, I've been able to, uh, I've gotten more serious into it, less serious in it. And no matter how long I spend away from a cube, I will always be able to do it probably for the rest of my life. Damn. Um, Okay. What's your record? So my personal best is 15, five, 15, 16 seconds, somewhere in there. Um, When I was doing it a lot, I was under 20 average all time. Um, But now it's more in the 30 second range. I've forgotten a couple of the algorithms that, speed up the process and stuff like O-L-L, that. OLL and PLL. Yes, all of them. Which one? What, what is the, uh, to, oh. What's the acronym for the one where you take it apart and put it back together again? I don't know. That's, well, that's, that's one I used to do. The sticker <laughs> method. See, I, yeah. I don't know how to solve a cube at all. I uh, My six-year-old son got one for Christmas uh, a few years back, and I bet him 50 bucks he couldn't solve the thing. Wow. So, He's uh, it took him less than a week and he did. He did. He went on YouTube and and he's he's one of those guys. Once he gets something in his head, he gets it figured out. Same way. Yeah, that was the the big covid drawback that we had was we missed out on the North American championships, which were supposed to be in Toronto last year. So he's Uh, he's rocking a sub 10 time. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what his his personal best is ridiculous, but he's uh, he does all the different cubes. I don't know if you've ever heard of the clock cube. Uh, I have. I've seen it. I've never. I've never had one. Weird. Yeah, he's he's currently. I believe his times would be top ten in Canada on that. That's unbelievable. So I paid him the fifty bucks to teach him. <laughs> that's, that's so cool. No, I've got a bunch. I've got, um, I mean, twos, threes, fours, fives, all the way up to seven, um, eight and nine and beyond is just too expensive to buy. Um, they're just, they get really big and they're hard to make. So, and those take me a little while to do the bigger ones. I've got all the different shapes, object, mega minks. I mean, the pyraminks, like different yeah different shapes, different stuff. Um, there's only been one that I've never finished and it's called the ghost cube. I don't know if he has one, but it's no, a three by three and there's no colors on it. It's all black, but each piece is a completely different shape. So you solve it just like a three by three, but the problem is you have to memorize the little tiny, you have to memorize the different shaped pieces and not just match the colors. That's messed up. That one I can't I can't solve. I've never finished it. It's still in the closet, just messed up in a plastic bag, just scrambled. 
So in the height of your addiction to Rubik's Cube, when you would grab a baseball, did you just tend to just want to do this every time? All the time. All the time. Seriously. (laughs) Go figure, right? Go figure. So, okay, you. how many countries have you lived in? Uh, I've lived in one, well, two. I've lived in the U.S. and I've lived in Germany. But we've been to um, almost, I think I'm at 30 even. (laughs) Okay, how many languages do you speak? Just English. Um, wow. My Spanish is getting a lot better um, playing in professional baseball. Um, and German was a lot better when I lived there. But now, I mean, you don't use it. I don't see it. I've got a couple phrases and, and words that I just remember. Um, but if you hardly ever use it, you never, you never retain it. Um, so I'd have to think that you cannot grow up as a picky eater when you're moving around to different places and different cultures like that? Um, I mean, I always was able to find what I liked. Um, Italian food is by far my favorite pastas, pizza, you name it. Uh, it's Italian. I love it. So, and Italian food over there is just incredible. Um, so that, that you can always find every, every country you go to. There's a fantastic Italian restaurant in Europe. Wait till you come to Toronto. Have you been to Canada? Is that on your list yet? I have. We have crossed the border into Canada. We went to Winnipeg when I was a kid, when I was really little, when we lived in North Dakota. Don't remember much of it. It's probably very similar to North Dakota in a way, Um, at least that area. I am looking forward to making a trip to Toronto. I've heard wonderful things about the city. Have they let you know that there's bagged milk here? I, I do, I do know that. I do know that. <laughs> Why is everybody bringing that? You know what? Jay Happ pitched for the Blue Jays about five, six years ago, and he brought up, he just was confused by the bagged milk, and now it, it like started trending, bagged milk in Canada. I actually have bagged milk. It sucks, but I have it. <laughs> Not a big milk drinker, so I, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. All right. Now, how is your uh, metric system because in Germany, I, they would use the metric system, right? Yes, uh, I can transfer kilograms to pounds pretty pretty seamlessly. That one's easy. And Tell then everything's sure. in kilometers and, and meters. So I, I have a rough ballpark. I'm also fairly good with numbers, so that helps. Think about this, Tom. Okay, so, so Mac likes hockey. He uh, likes Italian food. And uh, he knows his, his metric system. I think, like, he's a Canadian. Have you had Canadian beer yet? I have not. Okay, well, oh, there we go. Well, okay. I mean, in Germany, he's not doing bad. Oh, yeah, crap, yeah. That's true, that's true. There's some good stuff there. Uh, <laughs> just signing with the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, take us through that process. And, and Because you got screwed over because of COVID, where they really cut back on the draft. And uh, I would think as a young player, it's a little disheartening when you're hoping they get drafted and you don't. So what went on from the time the, the draft came and went to the point that you actually signed a, a contract with the Jays? So the way um, last year's draft worked, obviously I cut it down from 40 to five rounds. Um, going into my senior year, I had talked to some area scouts uh, in the Texas area and kind of had an idea. I was on somebody's radar to be a senior sign. Um, obviously I, it was in my fourth year of eligibility. I was set to graduate. So and I wasn't one of the you know top prospects going to go in the top five, top five rounds or so. So depending on how I played throughout the course of the season, I was probably going to end up in the at the earliest that late 
10 rounds, um, you know, seven, eight, nine, eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there, or, you know, way late at the end of the draft. Cause that's typically where the senior signs end up. And so I had a call, I got a call from Max Semler, who was the area scout that uh, I had talked to the most uh, of all of them, who was with the Blue Jays. He had seen me play in junior college when he was previously with the Mets. Um, and it was uh, just kind of a, a great relationship. Um, you know, I, he, he liked me personally, um, was able to, you know, convince somebody to, to take a chance on me, even with the shortened season, because my junior year, which is the, the big year when you go to college, um, wasn't, didn't end up playing a whole lot, um, mainly due to we had an incredibly talented team at Baylor. And I was just more of like the fourth outfielder platoon guy. And that's, that's the role I, I needed to play to, for, for the team to win. So um, going into my senior year, earned a starting job. We get the shutdown. Um, I had heard from Max shortly after that saying, hey, you know, I know weird stuff going on. Just just stick with me. Um, I'll, I'll be in I'll be in touch. So uh, draft rolls around in June. Obviously, they had already cut it down to five rounds. And he had called me before the draft and goes, hey, um, I've seen our draft leaderboard. You're probably not going to be one of our top five round guys, but afterwards we're offering the undrafted free agent deals where it's a minimum cap signing bonus and it's no different than you normally getting drafted so draft ended i think it was friday saturday they had to wait till or thursday friday i forget which day but we waited till sunday morning and they were just going down a list calling guys and so he called me early in the morning asked me if i wanted to sign it wasn't necessarily a long time period. Um, from what I had heard from other guys, it works, it worked very similarly to like the late round guys who just get the phone call. Hey, do you want to sign? Yes or no. And you answer the question and you're either in or you're out. So you didn't have a lot of time to be pissed off for not being drafted between that time and the time you actually signed, right? Like it no, wasn't that you were wallowing in this, this like, like crap. I didn't get drafted thing. You, you kind of had a feeling that, you were going to get picked up somehow? Yes, that's that's the conversation I had with him was that I was one of the guys on the radar for that spot uh, for the undrafted free agent um, signing situation. And he had made that abundantly clear whether I was actually going to get the call or not was still kind of up in the air. It always is, you know, things can change. But he called me that morning and it was a, it was a done deal. You know, 2021 has been such a, a difficult season for a lot of players just because of how goofy things got with COVID, how important routine is for players. And, you know, to add that to all that stress, it's your first year of pro ball. How's it going so far? Um, to say it hasn't been stressful would be a, a big bold-faced lie. Um, but it's it's been an adjustment, that's for sure. Obviously, pl I'm playing twice as many, over twice as many games. Um, just taking care of your body, doing the thing, you know, the same thing day in and day out to try to get ready to play every night. Um, getting used to that schedule was the biggest adjustment. And then beyond that, adjusting to how pitchers are attacking you. What do you, how do you get through a game and are still able to compete when you don't feel your best? Um, because in college you may have a bad series, you know, three games, you may have one bad game and you, You've got a couple off days to kind of work on some stuff, change some things, you know, get ready for, for the next game. It's a little bit more 
just game to game based here. It's, you've got to make adjustments, you know, quickly on the fly, but you also have, you got another game. Like you don't feel good during BP. You've got four ABs tonight. You had a bad game last night. You still got four more tomorrow. So um, just that getting used to the way pro ball works, obviously in, in a normal season, you would have a little short season, You'd go somewhere, you'd play 50, 60 games, get your feet wet, and then come back for spring training. That's totally different. Mac, you mentioned that you know you had thought about possibly the military because it's in your family. Were, were there any expectations from your family, maybe your dad, that when you said you wanted to become a baseball player? Or what was that support like? I, I know myself, uh, we have one child, an only child as well. And because it you know, there was one child, it made it easier for us to be closer with him. Also have a, a, more of an understanding of what he wants and, and, and kind of help him pursue his goals. What was it like for you as an only child? Um, for me, it was, my parents were incredibly supportive. I never felt any kind of pressure to do one certain thing. Um, whatever I wanted to do, my parents just wanted to make sure that I had every possible chance to do so. That's awesome. Um, it was always ingrained in me that, Hey, we start something, we're going to finish it. Obviously we're not going to just let you quit. We're going to just, we're going to make sure you see everything through. So even if I played a soccer season for a year or two, like if that's what I wanted to do, that's what we were doing. If we're done with it, then, then so be it. Like, wasn't your thing. So for me it was, and then with baseball stuff, my parents did everything they possibly could. We traveled as much as we could. We always found a team that we could go play on. One summer when we still lived in Germany, we came all the way back, stayed with my uncle in Missouri to play over here because during you don't get a lot of summer ball action in Germany. It's usually just that spring season and then you're off. So um, getting that different, you know, U.S. travel ball kind of experience before we moved back was good. I mean, it was it was every possible way I could succeed my parents were able to, to give that to me. Now, you know, it's an odd question to ask someone starting out on their baseball career, but you know, had you not decided baseball, was there something else you spent four years at Baylor? So I'm assuming we've got a major, is there any plans in the works? Um, I have a, a bachelor's degree in health and kinesiology. Um, so the intention was to get into the strength and conditioning world. That was something that I wanted to do. Um, I see now that that requires to go to grad school, um, potentially could be an option still. It's definitely an interest of mine. Um, but I think now I've realized that my true passion outside of the game as a player would be as a coach. And nice. so, um, high school, college level, professional level, whatever, whatever level I can increase my impact to, to young players on the game. Um, that's what I spent all off season. I've been doing it. Uh, I think I've coached a team at some point every year since I was 11. Um, now at that time it was seven, eight year old kids, but, and then, you know, each year, you know, they get a little bit older, you coach a different team, but I've always enjoyed doing that and being able to impart as much knowledge as I can, whatever I am able to learn. And regardless of how my personal playing career ends up as much as I can learn about the game, I can give on to somebody else who may be able to use it better. You uh, will be eventually joining a baseball team that is on the cusp of 
not just a couple of decent years, but this team is being built to be, you know, a, a fantastic franchise for many years. And I've been following this team for, you know, long before you were born. Uh, how excited are you about the prospects of eventually becoming a Blue Jay? And if, if there's one guy that you are like so excited to meet on that Blue Jays roster right now, is there someone that you're like, oh man, I want to meet this guy? Um, I think there, there's a couple guys on that team that I would really like to just have conversations with, um, just to kind of pick their brain, see what they think that I, I consider myself similar to Grichik being one of them. Okay. Um, you know, solid defensive outfielder. We kind of, we swing the bat a little similarly, um, as far as our, our mechanic from a mechanical standpoint, um, obviously everybody's different. Um, Teoscar Hernandez would be another another guy that I would like to have a conversation with. And then now with the free agent signing of Springer and everything that he's been able to do for as long as he's been doing it at, at the level he has, um, all guys that I'd like to have conversations with to just kind of pick their brain, veteran guys, um, even potentially by the time I get there, Bichette and Vladdy having the years that they have under their belt, just to kind of pick their brain and see what I can do better personally. Well, that's awesome. Well, listen, when you become a Toronto Blue Jay, we're going to put some time aside, and you and Tom's son are going to have a Rubik's Cube off. Is that what you call it, Tom? A Cube off? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I guess time. I guess. Time I mean, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's more, yeah. you know what? It's more fun actually just like getting together and talking hitting, yeah. right? When you go to the Cuban competitions, it's actually, it's all about meeting people, learning new algorithms, learning new tricks, right? It's more about the sharing than the competition. Mm-hmm. yeah not for me but i'm glad you guys enjoy it <laughs> hey listen mac it was uh, it was great to get to know you and uh all the best throughout uh, this journey that you're you're really just starting and man we can't wait to see you up here in toronto and uh, when you do uh yeah we'll take you out for some poutine and uh and some canadian beers how about that sounds perfect <laughs> <laughs> awesome take care my man thank you for doing Thanks, this Mac. great meeting no you. problem thank you Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room. Raj, Nate Pearson has missed a big chunk of this season with a groin injury, and the Blue Jays have made a decision and said he's going to be moving to the bullpen now. So it made me think about the differences when it comes to wear and tear, specifically on certain parts of the body, between being a starting pitcher who would start once every five days and go, well, they used to go long, but let's say longer than a reliever, as opposed to short little stints, maybe four or five times a week. How do you compare the two? And is every injury different in that way where, well, some maybe it's better to do the short stints more often? I think so. Yeah, I think in a, in a case like this, this might also be good training for him to get back into the full time load. Right. This is a good way to kind of, you know, you come in for relief. You're, you're not as, you know you don't need to have as much power and as much commitment as, as a starting pitcher. Um, you know, and there's always ability to, to scale back and scale more as you get better or it depends on how the healing. So I feel like that's a good kind of progression to see where he can be. Um, can this guy go back to being a starter? And I think starting somebody as a relief is, is a good way to kind of suss him out a little bit. Right. Uh, he doesn't have to push us hard. Um, so small minor things can be great great building blocks those big powerful movements well 
Steve Dalabar, you've been on our show before, but this is the first time we've done the whole Zoom thing. And you look great, got to tell you. Your hair looks exactly the same as it does the last time I saw you. So I, I don't know if you see, I, I'm, I'm, I got a slight comb over. Yes, <laughs> I do. I do. Uh, I know landscaping is your big thing now. Uh, is manscaping important for you too? Which reminds me of our, our sponsor, Manscaped. The creators of the uh, Warrior 4.0, by the way. No way. Yeah, use the promo code out of the park, Steve, and you will save money on your lawnmower 4.0. Anyway, that's enough of them. Uh, <laughs> you look surprised. Uh, that, I, I've never seen that before. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, they're I'm... little magic boxes. It's they're, they're better than spider tack for you know fixing up your problems. Wow. This show has already gone into... <laughs> 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 Are you going to tell them what it is? Because I don't know what the hell it is. Do you know what spider? You don't. You have to know what spider tack is. No, no, I don't. Okay, so I'll start this. I'll start this. I'll start this chat off with the question that I really wanted to ask you, because you're a pitcher. You you were you were teaching in high school, and you you underwent, you know, you underwent an arm conditioning program that took your velocity up to that next level. You worked arguably harder than almost any pitcher out there. From an adult to a late-breaking major leaguer to an all-star. And you did it all with conditioning, with physical fitness, with strength. So what's your opinion of the whole sp spider tack is what they're using to, to grip the balls, like the Jarrett wow. Cole, to get the increased spin rate, right? How does it make someone like you, who, who, who works so hard on a, like from a physical aspect, Seeing these guys ripping up their performances just by adding something sticky on their fingers. Well, the the hitter, well, who was it that uh, said they wanted a level playing field? Wasn't it Donaldson? Maybe Donaldson. Yeah, but yeah. you yeah. talk to a lot of hitter. You talk to a lot of hitters, and they 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 don't. It doesn't bother them that much that the pitcher has a little bit more tack, or but it's when you go extreme with it. And because they want you having an idea of what you do with the ball. Like you've seen, you've probably seen an uptick in, in the number of hit batters because the guys aren't spinning it. And then pitchers are getting mad saying, well, I'm having arm issues due to you taking the substance away. And, but the, the, the hitters would rather you have control and know where you're throwing it than be letting the ball go and then coming up at their head because it's i mean it's extremely dangerous especially with the velocity that are throwing nowadays it, it opens up a, a lot of interesting kind of topics we can go into and, and i always wondered like when as a pitcher when the ball gets thrown to you from the catcher or if it came from the umpire to the catcher to you uh, do you do you examine when a new ball comes into play to make sure that there's nothing on it that doesn't seem right or do you do you ever get the feel and go this just doesn't feel right no i always when i get a new ball, I would always rub it. And sometimes when it sits in the umpire's bag, it has like a chalky or rosin, or maybe it just sits there and it's dry because it just came in from being rubbed up. They put that mud on there and they rub it up. Well, it could be a dry day and there's no moisture there. So if you're throwing a dry ball, then it's extremely tough to, to make the pitches that you want. Cause in your mind, when you go to throw a pitch, you know the shape of the pitch. You know what it's supposed to do. Well, when you throw it and your timing is on and the ball doesn't do what you're supposed to, you're like, okay, what happened there? So you make your quick adjustments on the fly and, and then you go from there. But so 
uh, I think it was the, the guy who's in big, big trouble right now. I don't want to say his name because, uh, but he was showing that he had, uh, you know, the rosin bag and he used sunscreen. And if you combine the two, it actually creates a tackiness. Well, you don't do it intentionally, but it, it happens, right? So you cover yourself up because, you know, you want to get burned out there and then you touch it and it's like, oh no. So sometimes you see guys like, oh, I, I don't know what to do with this. So I have to get this off my hand. So they're wiping their pants or, or, you know, trying to get it off their fingers because they can't, can, they, they, they don't know what, even if it's on there, they don't know what to do with it. So they're like, ah, th- it's going to be too much for me. So I can't do that. Is this something that has crept into the game in the last five years? Like, you know, for fans, it seems like obviously it's become a huge issue for the first time this year. But back when you were pitching, say, for the Jays, were there were there pitchers using magical substances? You don't have to name names. Oh, yeah, we'll take names. Of course. This has been, I mean, all the way back to, the, like, the spitballs and the and the sandpaper and, like, all that stuff. Like, guys have, have forever and ever used or doctored or however you want to call it. Like they, they've, they've, it's like a guy going into work and having his whole tool set. He's like, I know what my tools are going to do. And then they go with that. So it's, I guess once guys find something that makes them comfortable, then they stick with it, (laughs) stick with it. (laughs) And then they, and then they, uh, and they go from there. Steve, were you a guy that ever licked his fingers? Were you a finger licker on the mound? Were you, were you... I don't know. What, I don't know where those balls have been. <laughs> well, I don't if you use the, your balls, if you use the Manscape 4.0, uh, you know where they've been. So, anyhow, no, I always wondered when, when guys lick their fingers. That must be the most disgusting tasting thing that you could ever like put in your mouth. But you so, well, it's yes, I did. But if you go to your mouth at all, you have to show that like you wipe it off. So you guys wipe their hat, wipe their pants. So even like wiping sweat. So you wipe, wipe your head because you want like to go out there with no grip is it's, it's scary. Really? Like you're trying to throw a ball in a coffee cup in front of 40,000 people. You want to know what you're doing and have a little control. So having a little, you know, wet your fingers or making sure the balls, you know, that, I always I always rub the ball just because you have a little sweat in your hand and it would just add a little moisture to it and make it a little bit better for you. Steve, I would never claim to be anywhere near the skill level of the athlete as you are. Um, and at many times as I've been golfing, I'd be, you know, coming back from my backswing. And as I'm going and I'm knowing, no, 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 you're, no, this is not right. This is not right. But yet you still follow through and you hit it into the woods. Have how often does it happen when you're in the middle of a windup before the ball has left your hand? And you're going, oh shoot, this is not good. Immediately, yeah, you know right away. Yeah, you know because of your timing, like you get your rhythm, you get your timing. You know, like when you let go of the ball, you know it's right there. And sometimes when you're on time and you make your pitch, and the pitch is where it's supposed to be, and the hitter hits it, and you're like, well, hold on, how did he hit? That? He must have been looking in one location for one pitch, and he was he didn't miss it. Um. I think one thing comes to mind, Alfonso Soriano, we were playing them at home and he hits a ball down and away off the plate. Of course he swung like a 38 inch bat, but it was down and away off the plate and he hit a double in the gap. And I'm like, how, how did, how did he, I mean, get to it? Cause it was so far off the plate and down. 
That's got to be more frustrating from a pitcher. Well, because you 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 make your pitch and yeah. and they still hit it. It's like, well, it, that's not discrediting the hitters, but usually pitchers have the upper hand, and you know the zones that you're throwing at, and and when you hit your pitch, or when you you make your pitch, you got a good chance of uh, success unless you're throwing into their swing path, and then things you know, things change on that end too. Is there a game like that that you had that sticks out in your mind where you did nothing wrong, you hit all your spots, you followed your game plan, and you just got torched? Uh, no. Not me <laughs> particular. Um, like maybe one batter? Well, no. Well, there was a guy, and uh, we were in low A. He was a starter. We were playing the Quad Cities um so st louis at the time it was their low a team and he goes out there and gives up like and he's like a control pitcher and he gives up like 13 runs and four innings just beat all around the ballpark and he comes in the deck he's like i'm not even mad he said i'm pretty sure i hit every spot i threw to today he said i can't be mad he said i, I executed every pitch that that was called yeah, I can't be better myself. Okay, but going back to that, yes, there was a game. I was in uh, short season. I was with Eugene Emeralds with the Padres, 2005. And I'm throwing balls. I've got, like, we're in Salem-Kaiser. Um, and I'm hitting guys on the on the hands. And they're, like, bleeder base hits. And then, like, in cap, this is, like, Pablo Sandoval's on their team. This is a Giants uh, short season team. Off the hands, rollovers, like thirty hoppers up the middle. It's like, hold on, where where are we positioning here? Why isn't why are these balls being caught? And I think I gave up. So I only made that game. I was like an inning and a third, and I gave up nine runs. But it was one of those. It's like I'm I'm like hitting like they're just hitting it where we weren't. So because of your pitch totals, they're like we can't put you back out there, and then. So they started me on short rest because I, I basically wasn't fatigued at all. They just took me out because of pitch count, you know, on you know, on a short amount of innings. They bring me back on my bullpen day because we were short staffed. And I throw another like so inning and third, like two and two, so four innings total, and I give up like six or seven more runs. Same team. So it was like a home and away. And I just get, I mean, it's like same thing. Just bleeder, bleeder. And I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> now, during most of your more ma uh, major league career, you were pitching out of the bullpen. So a lot of times you'd go in and you'd, you'd face a few batters and then the inning would end and maybe you wouldn't come back. But have you ever, see, seeing that you know when you've got it and know, and know when you don't have it, have you ever been out on the mound, even if you were in relief, and you're just, you're pitching like crap and you're kind of almost thinking to yourself, Gibby, are you going to come to freaking get me because I'm sucking right now? Why you keep me in this thing? No, because usually they're they're already way ahead of you there. <laughs> the phone, <laughs> the phone, the bullpen's been called like three or four times. Like, hey, is he ready? Is he ready? Is he ready? And it, it doesn't take guys long in the bullpen. Maybe 10, 12 pitches, and they're hundred percent. Do you see that in the corner of your eye as a, as a pitcher? Like, if you give up a hit or something like that, do you know that they're on the phone? No, no. If you know the lineup and you know how the, how everything's being ran, then it shouldn't surprise you that they bring a lefty in to face a lefty. Or, you know, like the matchup deal. And and sometimes they don't know. They could be looking in the other dugout and they're making a, 
you know, getting a pinch hitter ready. And, and the lineup in my mind, it's like all, I, I felt like I got lefties out better than I did righties anyway, but, but say there was a, a lefty that was going to come in and pinch hit, but in the lineup there was all righties and I knew I was in there, then it, it wasn't some, and then they, I'm going to, I'm going to come in and take you out of the game. That wasn't something that you, you just go out there and you do what you're supposed to do. And, and if they come take the ball, then you just, you, you just wait and give them the ball and see you later. You know, there's been a flurry of rule changes, obviously in major league baseball, and we complain about a lot of them regularly on this show, but there's one in particular I was curious about your opinion on was the, the change from allowing pitchers to come in and just face one batter like that new rule this year, they've got to face three now, I believe is the minimum. What does someone like yourself think about that, seeing a rule like that implemented? I mean, you were never like, what is it, a loogie pitcher they called it, right? Those lefty right. specialists? You were never that. But but as a reliever, like, what do you think? Is this a good thing for the game? Is it a bad thing for the game? Well, there you have guys like uh, Randy Choate. Uh, remember he came to camp with us in 15 or 16. And he, he told me his objective for the year was 45 innings, but he wanted 90 appearances. He wanted to come in and get his out or two outs and be out of there. He he pride himself on being able to be ready for 90 games. I don't know if he ever got to 90. Like for me, I always wanted to get to 70. That was a good number. You know, because if you if you get 70 games as a reliever, you're in like the top probably 1% of all the relievers because you're consistent. You can't get that many games without being on, you know, the big league rush for the whole year and doing your job because they're not just going to keep throwing you out there just to – you know, get innings, you know, you got to get out there and be productive. So, uh, but being out there and, and getting your, you know, eating up innings and, and getting your appearances in that, that, that means a lot to a team because like uh buddy, my, uh, Aaron loop, you know, he, he always got you know, a lot of innings and, and, and he turned into one of those loogie guys, which I don't think, so that 13 bullpen that we have was like really, really good. And nobody in our bullpen was like a one, batter guy like Cecil I mean Jason would come in for for the last inning but everybody could get everybody out we didn't have any of those oh I'm going to come in and just get one guy out now when I went to I was with Cleveland now they had Boone Logan there and Boone Logan he was like awful against right-handed hitters so they would never let him face right-handed hitters but lefties hit like 090 on him so he mainly only pitched lefties so (laughs) bring him in then but Having those guys that you you bring in, it's the it's the, the cat and mouse. It's the 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 chess game. Like I'm gonna make you use your bench players. Like I want you to 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 get them off because now I can do another switch and bring another guy in because you just burn one of your guys. So yeah. there's there's the strategy of the game, and now that the rules are changing, it's like you're taking you're taking you're trying to make everybody have the same game plan, and you're. You, the the game itself is like not the game you're you're trying to speed it up i mean speed it but it's not there's no time limit in the game but they try to add the things to it and it's it's kind of frustrating when you see how they do it it's like, God, you want to you want to speed everything up put a shot clock on the pitcher but then you'll go over here in like a football game or in a basketball game and see let me get under the headphones on go see if that was a foul in a basketball game or uh in football, they'll go underneath the hood, be in there for seven minutes, eight minutes, <laughs> trying to figure out if he's first down or not. Like, come on, guys. Like, 
like, and you want to go and listen to like guys put the headset on like two seconds. They're like, no, no, it's safe. Right. So they want to speed up the game when, if you look across the board, like the, the worst umpires in the, in the MLB are like 96% correct, which is really, really good. So, um, and they're probably 99% overall, but 96 is like, you know, when they're wrong, they're wrong, but you got to think like some of that stuff you see from a distance and it's a lot easier to see it. It's kind of like the game show thing. When someone tries to guess like the words on wheel of fortune or, or the people on, on their freeze up, right. The umpires are going off reaction. They see it, they, they hear it. They've been around it. They know the timing of everything. Usually on the throw, it's like, okay, I know that play. I've seen it a thousand times. Boom. He should be out. Oh, he bobbled it. So now, Oh no, no, no he bobbled it. We got to go to the camera. Like, I see how it comes into play there. And when they initially said they're going to put in the, um, you know, the, the, the video, yeah, the clock, no, the, not the clock, but the video check. Oh, I thought, yeah. well, they, they, this makes, this makes great sense for like foul balls. Like, was it fair? Was it foul? Like on a home run, something that's down the line yeah. and that's a judgment call or did it hit him? Did it not? Maybe even, I don't know, a couple close, but get the play right. No, you know, sit there and, and, and then end up not overturn it or, or keep, oh, not enough evidence. We can't. So then you just wasted everybody's time and now everybody's mad. So the, a lot of the stuff that they're putting in there, hopefully it doesn't stick forever because it's just like, the game is not the game. Changing it way too much. You're, they played it for what, hundreds of hundred years yeah, and it, and it was fine. There was an evolution of some sort. Basically, you know, the, the the physicality of the players just sped the game up the way it did, and the and the equipment and all that stuff, and that I guess the technology to broadcast the games and all that. But the game's a game. The bases have been the same, and now they're talking about moving the mound. <laughs> Get out of here with that! I know they sh- they uh well, they they shorten the mound. Yeah. Uh, after Bob Gibson, because he was just throwing a billion from. Yeah. from the mountaintop but that that's that, that i guess that was too unfair imagine randy johnson thrown from that straight oh. straight down stroman would have liked it who's <laughs> <laughs> that i said stroman would have liked it it would have given a little more leverage but he, i mean yeah. he he does well with what he's got anyway so it doesn't matter yeah. he doesn't yeah. need the height no <laughs> right you talk about all the things in the game that have changed and Yet one thing that has remained the same is the anticipation for trade deadline. And it has just passed, and the Blue Jays, you know, made some deals at the deadline. Now, you became a Blue Jay. I'm trying to think. I know it was – I want to say it was like the 30th of July. So was it the day before deadline day or was it deadline day? Whatever it was, I remember I just landed in San Francisco to cover uh, a Jays series against maybe in Oakland. And – or maybe they were playing the Giants. But I remember being in the cab and hearing about you being traded to the Blue Jays for Eric Thames. What do you remember about the day or even leading up to it? Was it, was it ever in your thought that you were going to be dealt? Not at all. Uh, there was me and another guy, Sean Kelly. We were in the bullpen in Seattle, and they had just taken uh, Travis Snyder out of left field because we were playing Toronto in Seattle. And we're in the bullpen. They take Snyder out, and we're like, oh, he got traded. Right? Why else would he come out of the game? He's you know, one of their guys. So – comes out and turns out he got traded for Brad Lincoln. And then while we're standing there, neither one of us had thrown in like a week. 
And he's like, well, man, hope it wasn't me. Like I got, you know, written his house. And so there's a lot more outside of the field that he's got to, you know, there's a lot of moving parts there. So he's like, ah, and I'm like, yeah, that would be weird. Cool. So I go walk off the field and then like Iwakuma uh, was, was a pitcher and had a great game. Yeah. So he had a, a really good game, but like his dad had passed away. So he had like in a short period of time, he had flown back to Japan you know, said his piece and then flew back and then had a start. And it was like his best start that he had. And we were like celebrating in the clubhouse. And then like pulled me to the side. And they're like, Hey, you got traded. I'm like, I'm like, I'm celebrating. Like what's going on. <laughs> so I, so, but I had been up and down a few times that year. And, and when they pulled me aside, I thought, you know, I'm getting sent down again. Cause it didn't matter. Like I'd throw and then they'd send me out. And then I'd throw and I was just one of those guys up and down. So, um, uh, when they pulled me inside, they said, you know, you've been traded. I'm like, huh? Like my wife knew about it during the game because it had been announced. Like that had been taking place or, or maybe one of the wives had seen it on Twitter or something like that. So I was like, all right, cool. And I'm just kind of go with the flow. And then, But then it's like, okay, what do I do now? I need information. Who's – people talk to me because I don't know what I'm doing. And then all I do is switch clubhouse, clubhouses. So then I go over, and earlier in the season, Seattle, we we went to Toronto. So we go up there, domes, you know, it's rocking in there. And I remember pitching against the Jays, and and Edwin was going off in the series. So hitting opposite field, home runs, just all over. I said, not on me. He gonna hit. No way. I'm tying him up. I'm going in. And but I hit him. So I hit him in like the shoulder because I was like. Inside fastball, inside fastball. I'm not going to get anything out of the play. And so I hit him. And, of course, everybody, I'm, ooh, you know, they're booing me. Uh, I walk off the field, like, all right, that's it. And then I get trade over. I'm like, hey, uh, last time I saw you, I, I hit you with a pitch. He goes, oh, it's okay. <laughs> we're, we're together now. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a great guy. Uh, and I'm – you know, it's just, you know, one of the things that trade deadline, you, I, I never anticipated uh, that happening, you know, just getting up there and just getting my opportunity. I was thankful for and never really thought about the next day. I was always just trying to prepare for that day. Once that day was over, then get ready for the next day. I never like, oh, you know, three years from now, you know, I, can't, you know, I was never on a long-term deal. So I, it's not like, oh, you, I kind of want to, you know, space out my career to do this. I'm like I'm already 30 something years old. So I can't do that. And, uh, just kind of go, actually, when I got traded, I think it was 28 or 29. Um, uh, so I wasn't a young guy. Um, but just, uh, it's just one of them things like as it goes and everybody, like you said, everybody gets excited about the, uh, about the trade deadline. It is exciting because it, it's something about seeing a, you know, a, a big name player change teams to improve the team. And then see the the players that go because a lot of the players that, that move are like, huh, who's this guy? Like probably when I got traded, I'm like, Delphar, well, who's that? We're giving up that guy. Like, oh, okay, he didn't hit well, but like we're getting who? Now I'm sure a lot of Jays fans are like, no, I don't know about that. Like we'll see how this plays out. <laughs> oh, I was I was pissed because Eric Thames was one of my favorite guys to talk to. He's such a nice guy. I'm thinking now that we're losing him, this guy better be decent. Like I don't care how good of a pitcher he is, he better just be a decent interview. 
You did okay, Delabar. You did okay. Well, I guess you I guess you've called me a couple times, so I guess I've done okay. <laughs> <laughs> was there any was there any big shock for you? Like what the heck is wrong with these Canadians? Like once you got up to Toronto, something just drastically different from the States? No, not at all, because I played in the Can Am League in Pinderball. So we we played in Ottawa, we played in um, I mean, it was, I was in Brockton, Massachusetts, so we were in the Northeast. So, uh, we went up to Quebec, uh, played there, you know, quite a bit and it's a little different there. Uh, but you know, it wasn't, wasn't much difference. Like I've been all over the world. I grew up military. So we'd live in Germany and it just like, there's, yeah, you just, once you travel, you just adapt and just get along with people and just go with it. Your story is so well documented and, and everything you went through to get to the major leagues. And as you mentioned, by the time you get traded to the Toronto Blue Jays, you're not a 22-year-old kid anymore. The What you went through and, and the journey you went through to get to where you were, did that make it easier for you to deal with a bad outing or even really you know, the way things ended with the Blue Jays? I mean, I think... Uh, those of us who knew you were more upset about it than you were. And you were upset about it, but I think we were just all kind of shocked about how it all transpired. But at the end of the day, did everything that led up to the, that and all the battles you had to go through make it a little bit easier for you to know where to go next? Well, the it's the process of, of knowing the business. And so, like, I, when I was with Texas, uh, I was in AAA with him, and we were carrying way too many players there. And I, t- now I'm the old guy, right? I'm like 35, and I'm in I'm in the bullpen with these guys, and we're carrying like nine bullpen guys. Like we're having to rotate starters off the like, you know, to the short season team who's not even going on at the time, but they don't go anywhere. So they're like making those moves there, but we we have like 20 pitchers there in Round Rock traveling, but we're like rotating, and they're making it work, right? But the league is like, you can, you can't do that. Like we know it's early, like the first month you got to get your starters. You got to get innings. We know you're on pitch limits, so you can't overuse guys. So they're lenient on it. But after like that first month and a half, they're like, "Ah, cut it out. So then they start settling. But a lot of major league teams, like after you can't win the division in the first month, but you can lose it. So you can get to a certain point where you're maybe a couple veteran guys that are, are your studs. They get hurt and then things just go south from there. So that's what happened. Like uh, Adrian Beltre went down and there was like a starter or two that, that, that weren't where they needed to be. And then they knew right then it was like, mm, no, nah, we're going to go young. And I told the guys in the bullpen there, I'm like, you guys don't understand. Something is going to happen here soon because they can't keep doing this. They're like, yeah, right. They're making it work. They're, they're moving. The guy. I'm like, uh-uh. I said, it ain't going to work that way. And then, you know, one guy leaves and they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Like, because you're stupid. You got to pay. Like, if you don't, you got to open up your eyes and realize, like, you you got to rush. You got a team. Pieces got to move. You can't keep doing it that way. And then they, they called me in told me, hey, you know, we're going to release you from the contract. I'm like, duh. Like, I get it. Like, I, I see the whole big picture here. I understand that, you know, that this is the way it works. So I'm not upset about you know, I don't want to leave, right? I want to keep playing forever and ever and ever, but I understand where the team sits and how things go. I thought I might might have got picked up and with another team, and I would probably would kept playing. But I had some calls from us for from some independent teams, and I was like, that's why I, I was 
that that move here, move here, family goes there, I don't pitch well, or I do, and then I move here, and then it's move them, move them, move them. And there's a lot of moving parts on the the personal side of getting things in place and making it stress-free for a family and still trying to go out there and do your job. So that's why that, like these guys who have these like long-term contracts, it's like oh, they can kind of go and then maybe settle in, like buy it, buy a place in Toronto. And it's like, okay, I know I'm gonna be here for a while. So then that's a place for that, that becomes your home home. Like I, I consider like Toronto because I was there like home, right? Because I was, you know, I kept going back there and I was there and loved it. But I was never like locked in, like you're gonna be one of our guys for many, many years. So, but you know, you still once you're there and you like the people. So you just you you gel with the with the community and 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 you become familiar with everything else, and it's just like it's like home. I love you talking about the stability. I love you talking about, you know, just sort of that aspect that a lot of people don't think about because they think, okay, you're in the major leagues, everything's great, right? But for a major league pitcher, what's the hardest thing that, say, the average fan doesn't ever think about, but the hardest thing that, say, relievers, yourself, other players that you've talked to goes through that the average fan doesn't understand? He has to see me every day at the ballpark. Yeah, other than having to talk to Barry. The one thing the average fan doesn't understand is they think, oh, you play professionally. So they're like, oh, you made millions and millions of dollars. Like, okay, you don't understand the minor leagues, you don't make much. And so I told uh, somebody asked the other day, they said, how, how long did you play? And, you know, how many teams did you play with? And they, in their mind, they're only thinking that only major league teams. Don't tell me about other teams. I'm like, well, in 14 years, I played for 18 teams. And that's going from, yeah, that's like making a couple of jumps within one season. But I said 18 teams in, in 14 years. So I'm moving that many times. So there's, a lot of moving parts. Now, my family didn't travel with me that whole time because, of course, kids weren't weren't with me. And early on, my wife was still teaching, so she was going back and forth, you know, as the school year was on. And then, um, but the for me, it's easy to pack up a suitcase and just go because that's what you do, right? The hey, we finished a three game series. You got to pack up. We got to go to the next place, right? It's easy to do that, but when you got to move all your stuff and your family. And then, you know, a lot of guys have young kids. So, you know, they're not the nine, 10 year olds that can kind of, you know, sit there and watch your iPad or, you know, go make their own food. You got a lot of newborns and, and these wives, like they, they do so much um, that they don't get as much credit as they should. But I mean, they're the, they're, they're the, the support team for, for a lot of these guys. And, and, that are, that are going through that. Like you're talking about stability, like they are like your backbone. They, they kind of, you know, bust your chops, but they're, they're always there for you. Steve, this is the part of the program where we're going to invite uh, some of our viewers to join in and uh, have a chance to ask you a question. And uh, they usually ask better questions than we do. So I'm just going to mm -hmm. tell you that right now. And uh, while we're bringing them in, I, you did mention Aaron loop. And I want to ask you about, Looper's having a fantastic year this year, and he's he's kind of back. And, and there are very few from the team that you played on in the Blue Jays 2015. There's very few of them left in the game. How happy are you to see what Looper's done? Love the guy. Um, he is um, – oh, sorry. Sorry. Oh, Steve. Uh -oh, we lost uh, him. <laughs> no, we're good. Um, 
I'm, well, remember, he was one of the younger ones on the team. Mm-hmm. So I came in, there was, uh, was Jansen, Jason Fraser, Brandon Lyon on that first team that I was on. So there was guys that like that were, I don't say at the end of their career, but guys that had played for a while. Mm-hmm. And Luke was just called up like we, we basically came at the same time. He got called up like a couple weeks before. And, and then, I mean, like what Cecil was a free agent, McGowan, he was a free agent. Like, so, I mean, guys just went and, and, but everybody's pretty much my age. Yeah. But he's a little older, but loops, I don't even, it seems like he never ages because he didn't have any facial hair. Never could grow any. <laughs> so he looks the same age. <laughs> Very, very true. He never uh, could. Like he'd get a couple, he'd get a couple like little sprinkles and like, oh, what are you trying to do? Grow beard? <laughs> but that, <laughs> but that, but he's, I mean, he's one of the best. I love that guy. Awesome. All right, let's uh, get the questions rolling. Uh, Fiona, let's start with you this week. Fiona, say hello to Steve. Hey, Steve, how are you? I'm well, and you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, we have a young team this year that really enjoy playing ball, but they also enjoy uh, some fun in the uh, dugout. And I'm just wondering, we always as fans get to see the dugout, but are these kind of shenanigans also happening down in the bullpen during the game? No, no, never. No, oh, we don't do yeah. that stuff. <laughs> no, actually, the, the beginning of the game, like, you know where your starter is. If it's a young guy, you you kind of on your toes a little bit. But if it's a veteran guy, you know you can sit back a little bit and kind of see how it plays out. And like we were talking about earlier, you watch the game, you know how the manager does his how he's going to run the team so you know when he might be getting a little antsy and he needs you know the guys from the bullpen so uh so as you i don't say we goof off down there but we have a lot of very strange conversations because you got to come up with something there's 162 games you got to come up with something different (laughs) and there's a lot of topics that you talk about and it could be it's very random but some stuff carries over and then i guess around the trade deadline you become GM. Like you try to be the president. Like you start making all like, Hey, like uh, we do like a three for one or maybe like a four, four and three trade. And like, Hey, what prospects do we have? And start moving guys around to, to, to be just to basically have conversation. You don't cut up too much because you know, there, you don't want to be acting a fool down there and then, you know, have cameras all over you and taking, you know, focus off of what you need to be doing. But, um, but yeah, we had a good time down the bullpen. You know, it's interesting because when you look at the dynamic of, of what makes up a bullpen, you have, uh, you know, these young guns, you've got guys that, you know, are near the end of their career and were starters and maybe are now into the bullpen. You've got, uh, you know, guys that are, are on a great run. You got guys that are struggling and it must be really interesting because, and I know from, you know, being in sales myself now, and, you know, if one guy's having just a fantastic month and someone's just can't sell anything, they just feel horrible. And, we, you know, we try to build them up. But, you know, what was that like when you'd have all these different guys going through completely different things and you're kind of all hanging out all game together? You're, you're, you're talking about family stuff. You're not like personal family, but like, hey, how's your family? Like, where are you from? Where you grow up? Stuff. So you get to know the guys, they become your family. And then of course, when they, they're going through stuff, then you, you're a little 
you know, sympathetic toward them or empathetic, however you say, but, uh, you, that, that it's not something that you go, Hey man, he really sucked this week. So, uh, like <laughs> maybe you need to do this. You don't, you don't do that. Like, but you try to keep it positive and, and just keep the flow going. And basically when guys get in a route, like a really good routine, then they get on a, they get on a good run. So it could be a physical thing. It could be, usually the physical turns into the mental and then because if, if physically you're not there then you can't produce like you want to and then then it gets in your head a little bit and then you go from there but um the you you, you keep things positive keep it fresh and then you know hopefully it turns out because you feel i mean you're all on the same team so you want to do well and you want to win because winning makes everything that much better awesome fiona thanks again for a great question uh, Craig, let's send it over to you. Uh, Craig, who's got the same haircut as Steve Delabar. I feel like uh, I'm the bizarro world where Steve Delabar wasn't an athlete because everything's going on the same here, but then down, you know, everything else, the I'm, I'm the bizarro uh, Steve Delabar, unfortunately, these days. Now, Steve, you mentioned that uh, you thought you uh, were good against lefties. Well, lefties in their career hit a minuscule 178 against you. So let's go ahead and confirm that you were killer against lefties, yes. Uh, Steve, my question is, can you take us through that bat? There was a moment you'd come into the seventh inning. Uh, two, uh, your team was up by two runs. There was two men out and a man on base. So you've come in to face the tying run, and you struck out that batter. Now, Craig, that probably happened a thousand times in my career. Can you be more specific? Well, okay, let's add details. The batter was Buster Posey, and the scenario was the 2013 All-Star game. What can you tell us about that battle? What, what do you remember about that time? Um you knew more about that than I did. I had no idea. <laughs> like I have no, I didn't even know there was runners on base. No idea. Um, I knew. So when you come into ball games, you run, like you get loose, you have an idea who you're going to face, but it's the Ulster game. So anything can happen. You know, we're down there again, talking, chatting, but when it's time to get locked in, it's almost like you zone out. So you kind of just, okay, boom, I'm working on me. I'm hitting my spots. Okay, I'm ready. Phone rings. Is he go? All right, get, get in there. So I start to jog in, and usually on the banner of the stadium, you can see a name. So for me, I visualize everything. So if it's like A-Rod or, you know, the guys that we face all the time, then you realize, like, go swing path, you, you know, what location, where do I want to – how do I want to set up as you're jogging in. And so we go there, and they're just flashing up, like, ads. And I'm like – all right, cool. I don't know who I'm facing. This is awesome. <laughs> so I get, so I get up there. I, I get loose, and and then I get in there. I just make pitches, and, and it ends up turning out in my favor. And didn't the the batter? It didn't matter. I didn't think, oh, it's Buster Posey. I no. I just if like we talked about earlier, you you do your job and you make your pitches, then you should be pretty successful. It's when you make a mistake. And I had a talk with a guy the other day. I said the thing, the difference between minor leagues. In the major leagues is the major league hitters recognize the mistakes right out of your hand and they do not miss. And if you, if they do, then they're, they, they foul it off and they're so mad that they fouled it off, but very rarely do they miss it and they're right on and they crush. So of course I made a few mistakes and they hit them a long way, but you try not to make those, but, but yeah, coming into that situation, I really didn't know who I was facing or that there was a human runners on base. <laughs> That's awesome. Craig, you always bring up some great stats and numbers. Thanks again for your question. Tom? 
Yeah, you know, it's a crazy memory because it, it you know, just being in the All Star game is, is such a wild thing. But but that particular ride for you was a unique one for Major League Baseball because you know, middle relievers making it to the All Star game is one thing. Two middle relievers from the same team making it to the All Star game together is is a whole other thing. What was that experience like in getting it to share? With one of those guys you had those strange conversations with all year with Brett Cecil, uh, yeah, that was a, it, it. Was pretty special. Um, yeah, you could have taken probably a couple more guys from the pen, like Loop that year at the All-Star, like amazing numbers. Jansen was doing like there was a lot of. I mean, we were. I think we may have led or been way up there in innings. For for Craig, a- you probably know that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm confirming that is correct. <laughs> yeah, we we were way up there, and we were yeah. getting the job done. We knew everybody knew where they where they fit in the pin. So when the phone rang, we knew exactly who they were calling for. So you were ready, you were prepared. So um, yeah, Cecil got in, and I was the, the the final vote. But you could have taken you know several other guys. To, to take the, take our spots because everybody was pitching well. And, and isn't that ironic in the year that Alex goes out and makes all those moves and you've got the Cy Young Award winner in Ari Dickey, you've got Mark Burley, you've got Jose Reyes, and Bautista and Edwin are there, and you're thinking, okay, well, those are the guys that are probably going to represent. And honestly, the bullpen was one of the saving graces for the fans that year because it was a crappy year, man, and it wasn't supposed <laughs> to be. Well, you you go from you know, all right, we got all these pieces, we're gonna make a run, and everybody's like, well, what about our bullpen? Well, we never thought about it like that. We just once again we got we got ready, we we stayed in our routine, and we like I said, we knew how things were going, and the staff was great. We had Pat Hinkin in the bullpen. Pete was was great, and and but the communication was really good across the whole team. And then you know we had some unfortunate injuries with Reyes when he he slid in late, broke his ankle, and then and then a few few other pieces didn't you know do like they should. But um, you know that's why you play the game. You know everything the paper looks good, but you got to go out and play. Awesome. All right, let's bring it now to the happy couple, John and Sue. John. You let your wife talk first. Sue, go ahead. Say hi to Steve. <laughs> hi, Steve. It's great to, to chat with you. And um, I want to thank you for something. You have spiked my interest in the immaculate inning. It's something I'm always looking out for now. Oh, I yeah? Don't, I don't know when I'll see one, but I just wondered if you knew you were the inspiration for a book on immaculate. I did not and- know that. Now was that about is that about his pitching or his good looks? Hold on, I may have. Wait, wait, wait. All right, <laughs> do a little play-by-play. Steve Delabar is now going back to his table to get a book. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, wow. I've got th- somebody gave me this one. Oh, uh-huh. nice. Uh, and Who's it had something author? like that. This is. Uh... Steve is currently leafing through a booklet right now. You have that one? Yeah. This is from my host, my host family. Oh, oh wow. Oh no, no, hold on. They gave this to me back in 2007. This is like I was in low A. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah, because that year I, I like had a no hitter going into I, I was one pitch away from a no hitter and then took a perfect game in the eighth. 
Oh, wow. Okay. So then they like got me this book like after that, but the Immaculate Inning, I thought I had one that said something like that. This is by John John Kearney, the author. Steve, you, re you, you really got to work on your wall art. You probably got a whole bunch of really cool stuff that you've collected during your years. It's time to... Is Steve still with us? There he is. Sorry, I was looking. Yeah. I was looking for. He's the, looking for sorry. stuff. Yeah. Well, I do. I, I have. I have some really cool stuff. I've got like you talk about that. So there's yeah. the right there. There's the all star thing that was in my locker. Nice. Uh, the guy, uh, you see that? That's uh right there. There we go. That a guy drew that with Sharpie only. Oh. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got some other stuff in here. You you got to send me a copy of that one. I want to see that up close. Well, here's another one. Here's a smaller one. So a guy, like, he did this with the Sharpie as well. Gee. Wow. Yeah, it, it's incredible. Yeah, it's really, really wow. cool. Wow. Um, and it's like little spots that he just. Um, but yeah, I've Do got some stuff. I just I haven't. I've got my like high school jersey. They retired it, so I was gonna just put them up in here. I've got pictures of my kids with my jersey, and mm. uh, I've got some stuff, but yeah, I I just haven't taken the time to put it on the wall. You know, a lot of times when you're in the middle of your career, it just becomes too much with the amount of attention you're getting, right? You know, whether it be from the media, from the fans, from the team, from whoever. When you're away from the game, do you start to miss it? Nope. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you miss all the fan letters, though, don't you? No, I get a, I get a, some random ones here and there, uh, but I, I, I don't... I, I don't know. I, I get locked into what I'm doing. So I, I, I just as a reliever, like my my lawn thing is called lawn relief, right? So I get I get tied up into my own stuff. So and I just I go day to day, just like I did as a relief pitcher. And I just I got my schedule for the day. I go and and I go just do what I'm supposed to do. So it's it, it's not like oh I I wish somebody would stop me on my mower and and try to get my autograph. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to make people, I'm just trying to make, you know, as a relief pitcher, you want to come and do your job. As a long guy, you want to just show up and make sure that they're they're happy with, with the work and and you gather and everybody's pleased. But if, if a relief, the one thing as a reliever you never wanted to be is on the highlights because it was always, oh, here's, Pitched by Delavar, oh, way deep in the third third deck. Like you never, you never want to be in the in the highlights because uh, it never turned out well. Oh, Unless there was something crazy, like you said, that immaculating. They just go, oh, let's go over here. Boom, that happened. All right, what's next? So they they don't really stay on that too long. But um, but that's really cool that that you have that book. So did, when did you, you were when you were throwing the immaculate inning, did you have any idea? that what you were doing no you knew no no no, no not at all I, I i thought there was a chance i i walk off the field and i laugh like i put my glove over my feet and i was laughing because i didn't think he'd check swung and they like they you know they struck him out and i was like and then i realized it was like what that was nine they may have been nine pitches that's pretty cool excellent yeah. That's really cool. But, uh, but going back to that game, I did not – like we were in the bullpen in Oakland, and um, Burley is like 60 pitches through seven innings. And I'm like, 
We're like, yeah, <laughs> nobody's getting the game today. Phone rings, Delavar's in the game. Like, whoa, 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 hold on, what? And the gun in Oakland didn't really read right. And Burley, uh, they said, hey, how you feeling? He goes, feel great. They said, but I just looked up and uh, it said 68 on one of my fastballs. Or, or maybe like mid-70s. And like, okay, you're good. And they got got uh, got him out of there and got, got us in there. I think me and Oliver came in uh, to finish it out. And I was like, I wasn't even mentally. I thought I was almost checked out. And then I had to get hot and get ready and get in there. And then just happened to. To work out wow. i think you kind of buried the lead there so the blue jays are a multi-million dollar major league team and they don't travel with their own radar guns to check on their pitchers no 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 no, no, no. we may have had guns but now, now everybody has like their eye in the sky type gun these are the guns that they set up and the angle might not be right this is like the this was Way back in 13. Before the technology existed. Back when you and Loop used to play uh, Farmville on your computers every pregame. How do you know about that? Shh. Super sound. Uh Uh, Sue, thank you again. What a great memory that was, too. John, last up, sir. Say hello to Steve. Hey, Steve. Uh, So great to talk. Um, you always fascinated me. Uh, we get to the ballpark early. We watch. We just sit literally for an hour and a half or two hours and just soak it all in. And you're out there with a heavy ball, getting your arms strengthened. And that was really a great um, story about how you did that. How did you come up with the heavy ball exercise to strengthen your arm? That wasn't mine. That wasn't mine. Um, I just happened to be at a, like a baseball academy here in, where I live, and they had a connection with Tom House, who played for a long time and was a pitching coach for a very long time. He came up with – he's always tinkering and adjusting his style and came up with um, the, I guess the program uh, that started balancing out the shoulder health. So I always felt like my velocity could be more, but the radar never showed it. Uh, but there was a reason for it because there was an imbalance there that you know I could accelerate through and, and the ball would come out, but it, like I said, it wouldn't, the numbers wouldn't be there. But as soon as I started getting that balance, my numbers went up and it made it a little easier to throw harder consistently. And, and that, but Tom House was the, the originator of the program. And I'm, giving, it, I'm giving you credit for it. <laughs> well, I was like one of the, the 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 first guys that kind of you know brought it you know you know brought it about and said, yeah, I did this weighted ball program and and some of that stuff was like, oh, we don't know about that. They're different yeah. weights and and you know we're not going to tell you what to do, but we're not going to put that in. And now more teams are putting that type of stuff in. So it's you see the overall health and you see the velocity numbers and the training styles and everything is starting to change. I remember back whenever they, they started putting in the same oh, lifting weights and strength training and you guys were like, no, you're going to get hurt. <laughs> so, and now you see these guys who are monsters on the field and they're like, man, they're physically fit. He's put together. He's ready to go. Did you have resistance from the Jays for doing that? No, no, not at all. No, no. Okay. Uh, no, because I was coming in from, 
from another team with a a program that that I'd done well with. Even in Seattle, like they they said, you know, because they give you like a, a a schedule or regimen to follow in the off season to to get you on on pace for spring training. And I got the call from the pitching coach in Seattle. He's like, hey, uh, I know you got your own stuff going on, and stick with it. It's doing great. He said, I've just got to send out this schedule so nobody gets on me that I didn't send you something. <laughs> so, uh, but there was never any, any resistance. I think even the Jays started putting it in at their minor league level. And there were some young players that may have benefited um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that may have, you know, turned their career around because their velocities went up. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I don't take any credit for that. Th- those players work hard and they, they did their own thing. I can't, I didn't do the work for them. So if, if I influence them in any way, awesome. But I didn't do the work. They worked, their, they worked themselves. Oh, but you, you did bring it to the chase. Yes. And if I recall, Steve, you, you told me, I think, that everybody's going to have different, a different program because it depends on their, their weight, their size, and all that. How is it, who determines that? Like, is there the, the weighted ball guru? Is the weighted ball Bible that you open up that says if you're this weight, you should be doing these balls? Well, if you go to a gym, are you going to be in the same program as a guy walking around with a big jug of water going, hey, bro, what's up, and looking at his weights? No. You're- that is me. That is me. <laughs> I, I, I haven't been to your gym. Sorry. Uh, you haven't seen me without my No, but, but everybody that goes into a, a gym or that is going through a, a, a program, everybody's different. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have different goals. Like you have people training for Ironman. You have people training for the NBA. You have people like Michael Jordan, for instance. They, that thing they did, they said his trainer said when he was baseball, it was more rotational. He needed lower body strength. And then when he went to basketball, it was mostly like we need to build his shoulders up for all the shooting and raising his arms up. So he said it, it was completely different when he came back and his, like he needed endurance. And baseball is more of a power, speed, explosive, and it's completely different. So it's the same when you – like most of the, the, the testing you do for weighted ball program or any strength program you do for the organization, they put you – they do an assessment, see where your weaknesses are maintain your strength and then work on your weaknesses to try to improve you overall. So that's what trainers do in in the gym. And they just try to, you know, let's keep your strengths where they are, maybe improve them. But like you're, I always said that it's not about if you want to improve your velocity, you don't push your, your highest number higher. You move your, your lower numbers closer to your, your, your higher number then your your average is a lot higher so same thing with your strength training or your your mile run you can go out and run a mile in you know nine minutes and then another time you do it and it's like 11 but if you get it consistently in that right you know that at one time then you you start getting better shape and you get locked in but barry i know you run like a what 650 mile <laughs> you made contact base running's terrible Oh my gosh, it took him two days to get to first. I, I'm wondering if you had any of the weighted balls that were about the same weight of, a, say, a tennis ball. Those would be perfect. Yes, absolutely. The The lightest ball was two ounces. So it was uh, the weight of a tennis ball. Perfect. And, and <laughs> now, you're, now you're speaking my language. Before before they started like mass producing the, the – it was like a, a squishier ball that was the weight of the two ounces. We literally used – a wiffle ball duct taped until it weighed two ounces. Come on. 
I promise you. That's who who he is. Very cool. Listen, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, All of us here appreciate you taking the time to to chat with us. And I'm really glad uh, you're enjoying life now, you know, in the lawn business. I guess the nice thing is after you finish cutting someone's lawn, you don't have to go shower and talk to the media, right? Well, I, or do you still? Do, do you, well, yeah, I, I get my towel over me and then I walk over there. I'm like, ah, Barry, this side did it. I came in from the left side of the yard and I just worked my way across. And I really laid down that line right there on the on the driveway. And I wanted to stick there. I couldn't get too close to the roses or the hydrangeas. I had to really tuck it in there. But I had to worry about the leaves, and I couldn't mess around with it. <laughs> oh man! And there he is, Steve Delabar. What a fun conversation that was with the former Toronto Blue Jay. And it's interesting. He loves he loves doing his landscaping and cutting grass and getting on the big mower and just having a good time. And everybody, when they retire, they need something to keep their competitive juices going. And uh, it's great that Steve Delabar has has found that he's found life after baseball. And as you know, we've spoken to some former Blue Jays who. Uh, you know, had a hard time finding where they fit in life after baseball. Steve Delabar has definitely found it. Once again, we have our OTP insiders to get to sit in on these Zooms. Now, we've taken a couple of weeks off here and there over the summer, and it's kind of probably going to be hit and miss during the course of the summer as to when our shows are going to air. We may not have one every week, but you know, we deserve a bit of a break too, right? So yeah. if, if you're watching this and saying, well, you know, I'd like to, to watch or listen to another show next week. Why aren't you doing one? Well, go back into our archives, right? First of all, YouTube. Where can they find us, Tom? YouTube. Exactly. <laughs> well, just, Don't feel like you have to answer right away. Well, no, it's an easy one. You just search up Out of the Park on YouTube. There you go. Boom, yes. we're right there. That's yeah. right. We're now on Spotify yep. as well. And Same iTunes. Thing. And Out of the Park. You can listen, listen everywhere you want. And uh, also, uh, Thomas Forth, um, if somebody wants to be a part of our studio audience and sit in these Zooms and actually ask questions to these ballplayers, where can they go? They can go to patreon.com slash out of the park. Throw three bucks a month, five bucks a month, 50, 70, 150 bucks a month. We'll take whatever. We'll take whatever. Oh, but I'll tell you, you what. get yeah. access. Oh, 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 oh. You get access to these amazing interviews and actually sitting in with these major leaguers. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing experience every time. Everybody that's been on the show you know, tells us the same thing. And mm-hmm. So join. It's an yes. amazing time. All right. I uh, am going to leave now, not to pitch, but, but I'm going to now sleep an accurate night of, of rest, which means three straight hours with no interruptions. Does that work nice. for you? Yes. Perfect. That's as immaculate as I get. Tom, thank you so much, and thanks to all of you for making us a part of your week.